1: What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have somebody with us in the Oregon area, been doing real estate investing for 17 plus years. Family man, got his young kids, five and six years old and enjoying life right now. But something that's a little different, a little twist that I really haven't heard too much about is focusing on tax Exempt apartments. This guy's doing mobile home parks as well as storage and all types of real estate at the end of the day. Affordable housing is something that's kind of on the move right now and something that we need to consider, you know, in times that we are in in the market right now with a recession and try to be more resilient and know how to pivot around that, lower your risk and still make a strong ROI, right? That's why we're all in this crazy real estate game. So I'm excited to have Mark on with us today. He's going to be able to pour in, tell us about you know what the heck he's up to and how he's getting it done. But without further ado, Mark, what's going on, man? How are you today?
0: Brandon, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So talk to me, anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view?
0: Sure. Yeah. My name is Mark Curry, co-founder of SMK Capital Management. We are essentially a private equity real estate investment company, Brandon. We like to invest in a lot of the asset classes you mentioned, really focusing on cash flow plus growth in that order. We're looking for- Investments that don't necessarily have to be sold at a specific time. You know, that can often lead to losses in real estate. And so, very particular about the business plan, the debt. And then the way we work, Brandon, we partner with other sponsors and operators in specific niches. Sure. And we look at about 10 to 20 deals a month. We invest in, gosh, maybe five to seven a year. Once we find something we like, we'll then share with our investor group and they can invest in it. But it's really a filtration process, especially today, as you know, market is quite volatile. There's a lot of negative leverage out there it's hard to find great deals. And so that's a bit more about what we do. I'm happy to share a bit more of a background, but uh, I started in corporate finance. I worked in corporate America for Mm About eight years, Brandon, I started investing in real estate on the side, very active, buying fixer-uppers and working on them at night after work, and then expanded, partnered with family, bought uh, some more, we built a little portfolio, um, and then by 2010, decided to go full-time and and start our company. So it's a bit of the background, but today we're we're very focused. We say no to a lot of stuff and just try and pinpoint where we think we can find outsized risk-adjusted returns for our investors. I love it. Do you guys have a syndication model set up? Yeah, exactly. So we're either five oh six C predominantly, almost all of our investors are accredited. And then we we create funds where we'll combine multiple investments into one entity so investors can diversify and spread their capital across multiple deals. We also do single asset investments too, Brandon.
1: Nice. I love that. So talk to me. You you mentioned that you guys focus on cash flow, then Growth in that order, right? So, when it comes down to cash flow, is there a certain dollar amount that you guys are aiming for per door?
0: Yeah, we look at it more on a ROI standpoint from invested capital. So, the way basically our investment target today, Brandon, hasn't changed much in the last few years. We want our investors to earn three to seven percent cash flow in year one, and then we want that to grow through the value add business plan strategy. So average cash flow target when we're holding an asset is 7 to 12% annually. Obviously, it starts a little lower in the beginning and gets a little higher at the end. And then average annual ROI, when you factor in the sale, 15 to 20% is usually the range that we're, we're targeting for our investments. Cool.
1: I love it. And that, that's part of the growth that you guys are trying to exit out with. Well, yeah. What is the time frame that you guys typically are looking to hold on to these projects for?
0: Yeah. Typical is I'd say three to seven years.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure the last couple of years, you guys have had opportunities to kind of double the money faster and sooner than later. So probably exited a few projects a lot faster, like a majority of people out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last few years were very welcomed, but uh, things are different now. And so yeah, Yeah. we've had had 16 commercial real estate exits, Brandon, over the years. We've yeah, We used to do a lot of single family, small multi-family, and in that space, we've had over 60 exits. So right now, it's being patient is the name of the game, not investing unless you find something real special. That's really the way we're thinking about things.
1: Sure. Now, for anybody out there that doesn't know or somebody that's brand new to the game, what is so different in the market in comparison in our current market right now and also nobody's got that crystal ball but kind of projecting what the next year going into an election year is going to bring versus kind of just like what history repeats itself and what does that look like in comparison to the last couple years when it was like just a frenzy and and you could jump into a deal wait six to 12 months do very little to it and you'd have a bunch of people banging at your door to buy it for top dollar
0: Sure. Yeah. So as far as the market cycles go, Brandon, COVID was obviously a big change in the market. The stay-at-home orders caused a lot of pause in the market. There was a lot of pent-up demand in 2020 from investment groups, buyers, sellers, you name it. Everyone was pretty much sitting on the sidelines trying to see if we were going to have a Great Depression. Of course, that got avoided. So what you saw was rampant rent growth, 20 30% year-over-year growing of rents due to a historically high demand. And that yielded, of course, very attractive returns. You also saw a lot of demand from buyers, sellers. You know, How are we going to get out of this deal? There was a lot more groups coming to the table than you could sell to. So you had a really nice, strong tailwind for about a year and a half, almost two years. And then, of course, the Fed put the brakes on that by battling inflation. They raised interest rates 11 times now, Five basis points, which has not been seen since the nineteen eighties, Brandon. So really a historical event. And that's caused a lot of what we call, you know, buyer and seller. There's a gap between what sellers want to sell for and what buyers want to pay. And that's anywhere from, you know, it depends on the deal in the market, of course, Brandon, but roughly 20 to 30%. That's too big of a spread. So you're not just seeing transactions aren't getting done. And so that's causing a lot of uncertainty on market pricing. What is disaster of earth, the market, right? You know, and uh, it's hard to figure that out sometimes, but you also have a situation where the borrowing costs have skyrocketed. And so the debt burden is a big factor in today's marketplace. So comparing where we were a few years ago to today, really just a completely different market, Brandon, you're seeing a lot of negative leverage, which basically means, hey, you buy a property and it doesn't make enough money to pay its Expenses and debt burden. So you actually lose money day one. So which I we're we're avoiding all those deals, Brandon. We're looking for, like I said, positive cash flow deals day one. So if you buy it and you do nothing to it, it's already producing a return. And that's just really hard to find in today's marketplace. So those are some of the changes. And then you said, you know, looking ahead, where do we think we are? Well, of course, I'll start by saying nobody has a clue for every every economist out there that says we're going to be in a recession by the end of the year. If there's an equal amount that say, nope, we're going to avoid a recession. For every economist that says the Fed is done raising rates, as they just paused, right, it's October now of 23, you're going to see a similar amount of economists that will say, nope, they're going to keep rates higher and longer. And so it's anyone's guess. I'll say this. I think that we're pretty darn close to the end of the interest rate increase cycle that we've experienced over the last 18 months or so. I think you're going to start seeing buyers and sellers coming a little bit closer now on transactions when it comes to bid and ask price, which will help get more deals done, Brandon. And it'll help get a little bit of this pricing discovery more figured out more quickly, I think, in the next co- couple quarters. And then I think once the Fed, if I should say, not even once, but if and when they decide to lower rates, uh, we might start seeing you know a little bit more of this... Um, pent-up demand coming off the sidelines and making making more of the deals pencil at work.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, especially with an election year coming up, it's it definitely throws a, a wrench into certain things because God knows what's going on behind the scenes that could move things in one direction or not, or the fear index and and so forth. You mentioned the negative debt out there. And a lot of people in the syndication space, they basically just weren't locking in certain Rates basically, they didn't pay the the premium for the insurance policy, basically to lock in certain rates. So when these rates started spiking up, it really put a, a damper in many people's underwriting and so forth, and then they're taking a big hit. So there's a lot of that going on right now, and it's probably just going to get worse in many situations. We saw earlier this year, I think in Texas, there was a big issue with a syndicating company, and I think it's just going to start being more of a, a snowball effect with that. Obviously, that's going to provide opportunity though as well for other people that are more sophisticated and prepared and ready. What do you think that will do for the market in general and kind of just nationwide?
0: Yeah, a couple of things to share, Brandon. First, just regarding the election year next year, there's actually a study that's been done. It went back and looked, I want to say almost 40, 50 years at the correlation between U.S. GDP. And in an election year, they actually found that the economy actually does very well in an election year. So it doesn't seem like we're heading in that direction, but anyone's yeah. guess. anyone's guess. So that to me is a big anomaly. Let's see if this time's different, but normally GDP has been very strong in an election year. And then as far as potential distress in the market, Brandon, like, yeah, you're right. There are, or have been, I should say, a number of deals done in the last couple of years That shouldn't have been done, right? There's uh, very aggressive underwriting assumptions, very aggressive projected exit cap rates, which is essentially the ratio of the income that you're going to sell the property at, and very aggressive rent growth assumptions, plus floating rate loans with or without interest rate caps that you're going to find those deals are going to be in trouble. A lot of them already are. Now, is there going to be a big wave of distress coming to the market? I don't know. We've seen a little bit here and there, Brandon, but- What's actually happening on a lot of these deals, where there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you're seeing that loan modifications are starting to occur. Lenders are stepping up to the plate. They're adjusting some of their requirements to be more favorable for the deal. Some of them are actually injecting more capital and proceeds into the deal, to allow the opportunity to continue to go through the next couple of years, especially if there's a value-add business plan, Brandon. If you can raise the rents, you've proven the model, maybe you've you've renovated 20% of the units and you're getting a 30% lift from existing rents versus renovated units, and you modeled it out and you say, hey, if we do the rest of the property and renovate the rest of the 70% of the units, we'll actually get a decent return. But in order to do that, we might need another $2 million injected into the deal and a little bit of flexibility from the lender. And so you might see a lot more of these deals actually work out if they have enough money and if they have enough time. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. There's going to be opportunities that uh, will, will be foreclosed on. There will be some distress. I think the last thing to note is there's so much capital waiting on the sidelines for those deals, Brandon. In a few different forms, right? You can call it vulture capital. You can call it pref equity, and you just also have buyer groups out there that are sitting on billions, waiting to pounce, right? And so, if and when a lot of distress comes, I think you might see pricing actually maybe not quite as low as in previous recessions where there wasn't as much readily capital available to to bid on these deals.
1: I saw a statistic the other day for you know companies that have funds and uh you know private equity basically private funds that they have over 2 trillion accounted for right now that is on the sideline just waiting for opportunities i mean that is a ridiculous number of just realizing like they don't trust the market they don't trust the volatility and just the, what's going on with the uncertainness. it's pretty amazing to see that much money just on the sideline waiting for opportunities it's more than what i can you know comprehend it's it's just incredible Absolutely. so you guys diversify you guys jump into multiple different types of classes and properties and so forth for real estate for your investors at the end of the day. What is the bread and butter that you prefer to really focus on? Or is there a certain class that you guys really like to go after that you guys have been seeing more in the last
0: year or so? I'll say this, Brandon, over the last 13, 14 years full-time in this space, my family, myself, we've invested in probably over a dozen different asset classes within real estate from student housing to senior housing to vacant land to Airbnbs to you name it, you know, everything else between that. And today we just focus on really three or four, I'd say, that are our core because we find that the returns are very attractive compared to the risk that we're taking. And so where we focus is predominantly on mobile home parks, self storage. And then today in the apartment space, we're really just looking at. Tax-exempt apartments, Brandon. Those are properties that don't have to pay property taxes, and so we stopped investing—not entirely, but I'd say 90% of our apartment deals these days, Brandon, are tax-exempt. Um, and we can—we'll go back to regular, regular apartments once the numbers start to make sense too. But right now, there's just an size advantage in that space, and so we've continued to focus in these areas, Brandon, because you know, like mobile homes, for example, and self-storage. If you look at the operating expense ratios not to get super technical but there's just a lot more margin on these deals you know usually you have 30% operating expenses versus the income and if you want to compare that to like a single family home that you rent out those are typically 70-80% operating expenses so a lot can go a little can go wrong and you lose your cash flow on those single families where in essence a lot would have to go wrong on on some of these other asset classes so that's just one Metric we look at, but those are some areas that we've been focusing on.
1: For anybody out there that doesn't understand the process for the tax exempt properties, apartment buildings, what does that look like? Is there a certain size in the property that you're looking for and location?
0: Yeah, so you know, let me tell you what it is first, right? Because yeah. people probably don't understand it. But essentially, what what this is this is a tax exempt apartment community. So it's a partnership that's created. Our operating partners partner with the local municipality in a public-private partnership. And we allocate up to half of the units at the apartment building, Brandon, for an affordable component. So it's tied to the area median income. So you're literally, it's a definition, it's a formula of what affordable is for these half the units at the property
1: the other half you, would to, you, you you wouldn't be able to rent it out for like the top market value it would have to be labeled for affordable median household income
0: correct and and the, the prospective resident has to apply they have to have a job they have to qualify it's not government okay. subsidized housing okay. the only difference is you're looking for folks that make a little bit less money and then you have yep. half the units set aside for those folks so they can afford okay. there and so by doing that in exchange you get a tax abatement meaning you don't have to pay property taxes usually for up to 99 years and so it's a massive advantage uh, it's a win-win you can you know harness the benefits of multifamily at the same time partnering with local municipality to create affordable housing it has to make sense for everybody all, all parties involved or it doesn't work and so you're giving up some revenue, Brandon, but you're making it back and then some on savings and property taxes. So you end up getting a very attractive investment from a cash flow standpoint, from a risk-adjusted return standpoint. Lastly, on these, you get more favorable financing. You know, Fannie has uh, specific programs for affordable housing, So you get, you know, the last one we did, for example, just last month, Brandon was 10-year fixed interest rate of 5.35 percent. 10 years of interest only and like 70, I think it was 78% loan to cost. So, very attractive rate in a time where the, of course, uh, interest rates are a huge burden to a lot of these deals. Well,
1: so that's really the key part there the financing, the long term, you know, more beneficial financing that you can get your monthly payments to be a heck of a lot lower because, you know, looking at it on paper, the savings that you get per year on not having property taxes i'm sure does it truly pencil out with how much you're potentially losing out on the income that you could have got for top dollar in that area it may almost um you know slightly you know cross each other out but that financing long term you know beneficial financing is really the key part here because then you cash flow a heck of a lot more.
0: Yeah, it's actually both, right? So is it? you, You asked another question earlier, which is a great question, like where do you do this? Does it work? Yeah. everywhere? That kind of concept. The answer is no, it doesn't work everywhere. Yeah. Why not? Because what you just said, right? If you have to come in and you have to reduce rents too much, yes. the savings and taxes isn't worth it. It's too much work and you won't have a nice advantage. What's the point, right? Gotcha. So where yeah. we find an area, Brandon, that does work, a lot of times the savings and taxes can be three, four, five X what we're reducing the revenue by. And so, for example, on a recent deal, we're penciling to lower the revenue right by around 250K a year. And the property tax savings in year one is over a million dollars. And you would do that and it makes sense for everybody involved. So, you get the cash flow from the tax savings, which is significant, and from the more favorable financing.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So, it just comes down to the location of where is that property at? A lot of them are, are in Texas. In Texas, okay, okay, great. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because in certain areas, what you're missing out on on the rent could not be as lucrative as what you know the savings is on the property tax. But in certain areas, it's you're going to capitalize drastically, so you can kind of double dip or triple dip in in all those fashions. I love that. That's incredible. So, how are you finding properties like that? Are these tough areas, you know, C class type of locations?
0: No, most of them are are relatively newer construction, Brandon. The last four or five deals we've done have been, let's see, 2008 build, 2015 build, 2022 build. Um, The seller of these properties does not have the tax exemption in place. So that is created and put in in escrow when our operating partners are looking to acquire the asset. And so you're creating value day one. right? If you, you see a lot of the Appraised values on these assets come in significantly higher than what we're paying because of the NOI change once you remove property taxes, right? It's a lot more meat on the bone and cash flow. But yeah, most of the deals that we focus on are newer construction, lower risk. And they also, a lot of them have a value add upside. You know, if you're buying a 22 build, there's not a lot you can do. It's already there. The recent one we closed on was built in 2008, so about 15 years old. And the units need an upgrade. So in addition to this program, you come in on the other half of the units that stay at market rate, and we're going to renovate those units and bring up the rents to market. They're already about 15% below market, as is. And once you renovate them, they go up higher, of course. Do
1: so. you only focus a majority of your attention for the renovation costs to that second half that you can get top dollar? There's no point in fixing or... To a certain degree, you know, the rest of the building?
0: It depends on what the rates are at the non renovated units. If they're going to be held to an affordable component and you go and renovate them, but you can only charge, you know, roughly the same amount, that's not necessarily a good investment because there's no return on cost, right? But if there is a spread there, then sure, we were happy to deliver a nicer unit. But uh, of course, you know, maintaining the units too, Brandon, you know, paint, flooring, appliances you name it all that is done regardless it's just a matter of you know do you take the appliances from regular to stainless steel do you take the countertops from mica to 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 granite or quartz are you putting in hardwood flooring or carpet you know these kinds of different finishes can make a difference in the renovation scope
1: so as far as deal underwriting obviously that that sounds like something you guys do it a little bit more creatively to figure out how to really be able to make this a win-win situation across the board. Is there any tips or tricks that you would give for somebody that's kind of jumping into underwriting uh, with a different creative lens like you guys have?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to share about underwriting, Brandon. A couple takeaways are in today's market, you're going to want to try and find a spread between the interest rate and the going in cap rate. So you want your going in cap rate to be higher than the interest rate if you can. Anywhere from 75 to 200 basis points would be great. That's uh, most of our deals that we focus on are in that group. And then you want to look at, of course, gosh. if So for us, it's like, hey, our operating partners bring us a deal. I want to know, are they going to be able to execute, right? That's the biggest yeah. one. So we're underwriting the people and the business plan in addition to the financials and the, and the Excel model and the, the pro forma and the local market. But on the, on the people and the business model, you know, a big one for us is like, okay, hey, we've done this same exact business plan in this market five other times. Here's why we think we can do it again. That's a lot easier for me to get behind than, hey, I, you know, we've never done anything in this market and here's a business plan we've never done before. So just the business plan risk, is a big one in today's market, right? Try not to find stuff that's bright, new, and shiny because it comes with more risk, execution risk. And then how many levers do they have to pull to actually get the NOI to grow? Right. What, how much heavy lifting is there? And the more there is, the more risk there is. There are more risk of them not being able to do it. Right. It's just kind of common sense, but also something to think about because it it can oftentimes be hard to know how good are these people. And so looking at previous track record, their current portfolio, how it's performing compared to what they thought, you have to ask for this stuff a lot of times, Brandon. They won't necessarily just give it to you. So that's a little bit on the people and the business plan. And if you want to get more technical and perform just let me know. We can dive in and talk about some underwriting assumptions.
1: No, I, I love that. I think it's important to realize the people that you're dealing with and location. How many locations are you guys really focusing on in the last year or so? Is it Texas and any other ones outside of that? Several. Yeah.
0: I mean, we we invested in a lot of different areas, Brandon, the Midwest, the South, Southeast. We're currently invested in over 40 states. So where we don't focus is a little bit more on the, the coasts. Yeah. Um, tend to try and stay away from some red states just because of the potential for rent control. And the Northeast, we tend to focus very little on because those areas usually don't have a lot of cash flow. It's usually a more speculative appreciation play. And we try and always get a blend of of cash flow and growth. And then
1: the partners that you guys are finding, is this, I mean, just networking and letting people know your criteria, exactly what you're looking for. Do you guys have a a department within... Your business that focuses on just outreach and, and building relationships, working with wholesalers, trying to figure out a win win scenario?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you how it started, Brandon, because like I didn't open our business thinking this is where we're going to end up. Right. So yeah. <laughs> when we opened our business, we were the operating partner, myself, okay. and my family, right? It's SMK is me and my father's initials. Sure. And at the time, we were flipping houses, we were doing a lot of heavy reno- renovations and, and BRR, right? Buy, renovate. Uh, rent, and then repeat. But what I did, I left corporate America, Brandon. I had a 401k. It's just sitting idle, right? I'm self-employed. What am I going to do with this money? And can't invest yep. in your own deals. The stock market was a giant blur at the time and tons of risk. So I started networking my tail off. I went to you know an investor meeting in, in person. This is in 2009 and 10, where you, you couldn't even find stuff online back then. And you have to listen and take notes and shake hands and follow up and call and email and like, you know, bust your butt just to get information. But I did that for two years and I met a ton of savvy operators, savvy investors. And I started diversifying myself, right? We were doing our own deals with our investors, but I put a lot of my self-directed IRA money into mobile home park deals, self-storage department deals, student housing deal as an LP and just learning. And did that until 2016, so almost seven, six, seven years, like watching others and other asset classes learning by investing with them and building relationships with them. And then we decided, hey, we should try and see if our investors want to diversify outside of single family, small multifamily that we were doing. And we did, and it's been received very well, because a lot of our investors did want to diversify. And so- Essentially, by doing it first ourselves, Brandon, and learning and meeting folks, we today still have a lot of the same relationships. Some of those groups come to us, hey, Mark, we got a live one, you're looking for a deal for your family or your grump company. And then also, I'll say this, Brandon, a lot of our operating partners get referred to us by our investors, like, hey, Mark, I'm investing with these guys, I've been with them for three years, they're doing really well, you might want to talk to them, here's an introduction. And so over the years, we've kind of vetted and underwritten and analyzed, I'd say, over 130 different operating partners. And that's essentially how we get our deal flow, Brandon. It's it's all relationship-based.
1: Where do you see a company going in the next few years?
0: We've basically been partnering from the investor standpoint with high net worth, accredited investors, Brandon, a lot of entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, attorneys that that uh Want to diversify outside of the stock market? They're looking for passive investments, so they come to to SMK. And we build a relationship with them and uh, help them get that money put to work. We also have been working a little bit more lately, which I think we're going to get more into in the next couple of years, Brandon, with more RIAs, wealth managers, financial advisors that are managing assets for their clients and their capital. But are looking for more diversification outside of the public equities and stock market, looking for alternatives, which is our bread and butter and our focus and has been for you know ten plus years. So I think we'll start. We're seeing those relationships grow and start managing and investing on their behalf as well.
1: Nice, I love it, man. That's exciting. Well, you're you know a great wealth of knowledge with all the years that you've been doing this and the different. Classes that you have invested in thus far. Anything that you would recommend for somebody looking to kind of jump into more of the syndication realm and be able to really help out more people and partner up to take it to the next level instead of focusing on the one off deals and people that are just laser being focused on, you know, the four units and under?
0: Yeah, look, that was me for many years, right? So, our pivot happened more organically. There weren't really podcasts back then and yeah. there wasn't such an abundance amount of networking and content available. So having that today, I think is awesome. It helps people learn quicker and from sure. a lot more different sources of information. So you can get lots of different perspectives. So you know, if, you, if you're looking to make that pivot, you want, you're, you're investing in, I would say, small, single family, multifamily deals, and you want to get more into syndicating, you're going to need to align yourself with the right people. That's step number one, uh, yep. without a doubt, step number one. So if you're not the operating partner and you're going to rely on others to execute, better take that really seriously, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, it was always family money first, and then we, when we felt comfortable, we'd bring other capital from colleagues and contacts and our investor network in. You just you can't. Take it lightly of how serious of a job it is to syndicate deals. I think um, for us, we'd rather not do anything yep. than put money in the wrong spot. And so, yep. just uh, realize that if you're trying to take to make that pivot, I recommend you do. But also realize that it's it's not easy. It's going to require 100% devotion, and you're always going to be working for others. So you better have the right character, integrity, honesty, and, and make sure you align yourself with groups that have the same. That's really good. I love that.
1: Well, Mark, uh, appreciate this episode greatly. I have a bunch of notes myself. How can the listeners get a hold of you?
0: Yeah. Our, our company name, by the way, is SMK Capital Management. Brandon, our, our website is smkcapcap.com. You've got a lot of information on there, investment examples, more details on how we invest and how we source deals. And you can also uh, join our investor group just by signing up on our website. And also welcome folks. uh, If you want to learn more, email me at info at smkcap.com.
1: Awesome. Guys, you definitely want to reach out to Mark. Wealth and knowledge. been doing it for plenty of years now and helping out a lot of people. So by all means, reach out to Mark and be able to network as well. And if you have any questions for me or, or want to connect, make sure that you're following us on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliot Investments. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast, make sure you do so right now. Listening to a few episodes, leave that five star review. Love all the feedback and uh, appreciate you guys as always. If you guys really want to be able to figure out how to get the banks to say yes more, we're teaching people, business owners, how to be able to get up to $500,000 every six months at 0% interest and uh, how to clean up your credit, get to the 800 FICO score in less than 30 days guaranteed, and be able to get a ton of funding. So if you're looking to be able to do that so you can diversify into real estate or other, you know, starting your business, growing your business, hiring on competition and so forth, then by all means, check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And we'll see you on the next episode. Till next time, God bless. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you. Thank you.
0: This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit Investments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.